have your Bible, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking at Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. And this morning we are in the middle of a seven-part series entitled Reformed Distinctive. What is it that makes the Reformed Church distinctive from other churches? Well, we began by looking at Reformed view of Scripture. And we talked about God's sovereignty. We talked about the covenant of grace. Last week, we looked at the law and why that's so important. And this morning, we come to the church, looking at why we need the church. Now, when we talk about these reformed distinctives, we're not saying that other churches don't believe these things. More or less, they do, but it might be a matter of emphasis, or it might be a different interpretation. So don't hear me this morning thinking or saying that the Baptists or the Methodists don't believe in the church. No, they do. It's just that the Reformed understanding of the church is a little bit different. I believe that it is wholeheartedly biblical. One other matter of introduction before we dive into the text is that when we hear Scripture use the term church or we talk about the church, often it's used in two different ways. On the one hand, you have the universal or cosmic. That is, all churches scattered around the world and throughout time. So when we uh, confess our faith with the Apostles' Creed, we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about the church universal, all around the world and throughout time. There's the universal church, and then there's the local church. That is, specific individual congregations of the Lord Jesus Christ. The First ARP Church is a local church that's a part of the universal. And while Paul doesn't use the term church in this passage, that's exactly what he's talking about. He has in mind both the universal church and the local church. So we turn now our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. God, you have told us that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul. Father, we ask as we examine the text, would you show us who you are? Would your word pierce our hearts? Convict us where we need to be convicted. Comfort where we need to be comforted. Speak, Lord. We are servants of the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now the reading of God's word, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So 
then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Back in the third century, no one can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. No one can have God for his father who does not have the church as his mother. And that might sound wrong. It might ruffle the feathers a little bit. But think of what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. One of our governing documents is uh, ARP Church. It says about the local church, out of which, out of the local church, there is no ordinary Remember who you used to be. 
12 being reminded of the five things. It says that they were Christless, separated from Christ. They were stateless, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were friendless, strangers to the covenants of the promise, hopeless, having no hope, and godless, without God in the world. That's a big deal to say. But God no longer despised them. For Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought in. Reconciled first to God. They've had their sins forgiven. They've been brought in to the family, the household of God, the church. But secondly, they've been united to God's other people, the Jews. They're reconciled to the Jews. In other words, the dividing wall of separation between the Jews and Gentiles was demolished by the cross of Christ. The implication of the gospel is that there is in the church, we should find a unified body. Now, there's a people of different racial backgrounds, different economic status, or different uh, political status. You name it, we find a united body of people of Christ. We need to be honest that the church is not perfect either, right? We are sinful, fallen people. It is not a perfect unified body, but there is Which is especially true since we all have different gifts and different roles. First Corinthians 12, what John read as our uh, first reading, describes the church as a body of Christ. And so the body has different parts, right? It has arms, legs, feet, and so the church has different parts. And not one part is not better than the other. We need all the parts. In other words, the church is to be a unified one another's sins, love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. 
He is built upon a sure foundation. If you have your Bible and your bulletin, please turn it out. Look with me at verse 16. Paul says, the striving and encouraged the kids built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Who are these apostles and prophets that we're talking about? Well, well the apostles are pretty straightforward, right? The twelve disciples plus Paul, those that had eyewitnesses who were with Jesus and were sent out by him to build the church. But who are the prophets? Are they Old Testament prophets? Are they New Testament prophets? The rest of show there's been a lot of debate. There's been a lot of interest. And we're still going back and forth over who these prophets are. I think the best understanding is to see them as Old Testament prophets. So the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament prophets. But ultimately, whether they're Old Testament or New Testament prophets, it doesn't matter because they themselves are not the foundation. Why? Because Jesus is. They're not the foundation. They laid the foundation. So foundation that belongs to them, not themselves being the foundation. That is, he is the key to the whole foundation and builds everything upon the work of Jesus Christ. In other words, the foundation is the doctrine the apostles and prophets laid down in the Old and New Testament. The foundation of the church is Scripture. That's why we started this series by talking about the doctrine of Scripture. So and prophets laid the foundation for the church by proclaiming God's Word. So when it comes to laying a foundation, you only lay it once. You don't lay a foundation, start building, and say, well, you know what? I'm going to move, and I'm going to have a new foundation in my life. Kids, do you ever build with Legos? If you're trying to build a structure out of Legos, what do you leave at the bottom? You leave all those thin slats and things on which to build the structure. If you're trying to move it or build it, that Apostles and prophets, once and for all, laid the foundation for the church. And now the church builds upon that foundation. Here's what John Calvin says about this idea of foundation. He says, in the strict sense of the term, Christ is the only foundation. He alone supports the whole church. He alone is the rule and standard of faith. But Christ is actually the foundation on which the church is built by the preaching of God's word. And on this account, the prophets and apostles are called preachers. The foundation of Scripture, the Scripture proclaimed. But we no longer have the office of apostle, the canon of Scripture is closed, and the prophetic ministry of the church can't happen. But there is God's grace and providence nonetheless. Through the faithful preaching of Scripture by men appointed and set apart for the office, stands in continuity with the ministry of the apostles and prophets. The preached word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which the church stands. One contemporary Presbyterian pastor and scholar puts it this way, talking about preaching. He says, preaching implies a commissioned agent authorized to teach. 
understood there is no preaching that does not come from an authority in the church and no preaching that does not carry with it God's own authority. The word of Christ preached is not only a word about Christ, it's a word from Christ. We're coming to see that the preached word is nothing less than the divine presence of God. And the reformed tradition would say this is how you emphasize this preaching. Not that preaching is the only thing we do, but it is one of the most important things we do. It is the foundation upon which the church is built because in it we encounter the living God and we hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that you regularly read the Toyota preaching of Jeff Jones? Do you delight in hearing it week after week? Absolutely not. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We must remember the importance of our Toyota preaching. We must not have itching ears to hear something that sounds good, but is not true and not rooted. talking about Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you know anything about buildings, you know that the foundation is not the finished product. We don't begin a building program and, and get down with the foundation and think, oh look, how beautiful. Building projects are like that. No, the foundation is meant to support is a unified body built on the foundation of God's word proclaimed in order that we we might be a place where the lost and dying can be reconciled. And how does that relate to the mission of the church? Well, by describing the church as a dwelling place for God, Paul clarifies the church's mission. The fact that we are being built into a temple serves as guardrails for the future work of the church. In order to be a dwelling place to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 